like D&D fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. Observe the previously unobservable. I'm attacking the darkness! (laughs) (laughs) Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk! Yeah, you are! Are there any girls there? Yeah! Anyone can play. I don't really know the rules. <laughs> Listen, there aren't any rules. It's a game of the imagination. Oh, okay. This is your character sheet. Your name is Titania. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'll help you. I'm the dungeon master. I control worlds, universes. Okay, you guys can talk to each other now if you want. Welcome to what is essentially episode 8 of DCRPG, the Hero Points podcast. I'm Siskoid. I will not be joined by my co-host Shag on this one, nor will there be a feedback section about our previous episode. What happens is we sort of noticed that there was an extra Tuesday in July, and that meant that I could do an extra episode of something. And that something will be Hero Points. This is episode 8, and all it's going to be is me doling out advice for potential game masters of the DC Heroes role-playing game, or any superhero role-playing game, really. In this first section, we'll talk about mechanics a little bit, or at least tips on how to better game master the genre. And uh, in the second block, it'll be more about inspiration and uh, how to start a campaign, what kind of campaigns we could start using the DC Heroes rules from Mayfair, or if you prefer, DC Universe from West End, or DC Adventures from Green Ronin, or your favorite system. It doesn't matter. This will be this won't be very system specific. And most of this material is adapted from articles that I wrote for Cisco's blog of Geekery. So uh, if you have an interest uh, in this kind of stuff, you can go there for more. Just click the RPG tab. And if you are already a reader, uh, this may seem familiar to you. I will still try to make it come alive. So the first thing I want to address here is subplots. Subplots is a mechanic in DC Heroes, but it's also something that is part of comics. It's something that's actively encouraged in the DC Heroes RPG, and it's become part of my role-playing toolbox. Basically, it's all well and good to craft or read from complex adventure scenarios and plots, but if you want your players to be truly invested in their characters, you have to develop their personal stories. A part of the work has to be done in what I call chargen, character generation. I guess it's chargen, which is why I'm always present and in discussion mode when characters are being rolled up, so to speak. I need to make sure that each character has its own plot hooks, uh, who might coming back from their past, uh, what are they looking forward to, what NPCs might give them grief, etc. Now, running subplots is child's play, really. Usually, it's just a matter of role-playing a short scene, one-on-one, or even letting the other characters in on it. That, that can be done. That advances, slowly but surely, a character's personal story. You might run them if there's extra time at the end of a session, or while you wait for all the players to arrive, and those small stories can turn into full plots later on, when the entire team is dragged into one character's personal business. It's just like comics. Think of it as the one-page subplot in a comic that eventually pays off into a whole issue or arc. 
This will give the impression that everything is interlinked and that the campaign is constantly leading up to something. If genre television series are any indication, players are ready for this. Look at a Doctor Who or a Star Trek Deep Space Nine or Babylon 5 or any of the CW shows. Small scenes here and there turn into this larger tapestry over time, despite the self-contained nature of many episodes. Encourage your players to think of their characters in terms of what subplots they might be involved in. They'll soon be formally requesting to continue their stories. What happens next is a great motivator, and subplots allow you to keep that momentum going, even if the plots themselves are more or less one-offs. At the same time, characters become more than just stats on a sheet of paper. Subplots give them depth. So definitely recommended, and DC Heroes has everything to do with why I push this. Now just because you only meet up once a week, once a month, or once in a blue moon to roleplay, it doesn't mean your characters only live and breathe once a week, once a month, or once in a blue moon. Unless your games are like a season of 24 and have no downtime ever, there's room for subplots and an interior life, and these days, you don't really have to meet up with a player to get this done. It all depends on the campaign, of course, but I've had a measure of success in modern and future games, and certainly superhero games, uh, using mailing lists. Usually, we just use the, the group or the Facebook chat to set up gaming dates, open calls for new games, etc. But in one campaign, players were encouraged to share their characters' personal messages. Thoughts on the last game's events, seemingly addressed to an NPC or to another PC or to the entire gang, in character. Uh, that added a lot of fun during downtime. For my own character, I would post uh, fake eBay notices for items I might have picked up during the game. This open dialogue between players and characters helps keep a certain momentum in the game by reminding everyone that it's an activity that all enjoy, something often forgotten as the weeks stretch on between sessions due to the so-called adult considerations. On a GM player basis, I've also had a lot of success with chat conversations online. You need to advance a character's subplot, grab him on Facebook in the middle of the day, change your nickname to, you know, to a villain's name and spam him with pure evil. Short chat conversations, perfect for random phone calls or market negotiations. And the service also allows you to send relevant pictures. I once had a villain send GPS clues to a player who then Google mapped it all out in time for the next session. Using the internet can yield fun results. A wild goose chase through web pages, representing a battle inside a character's psyche or VR. Online two-player games to simulate a character's actual activities. You can do all sorts of stuff and just say, oh, this is how the characters are interacting. Granted, these are new school ideas, but don't ignore their old school equivalents. Players can deepen their characters in between games by having them indulge in artistic pursuits. Uh, which they can bring back to your session, or again, share via the internet. Does your supers character like to change costumes all the time, like the Wasp during the 80s? By all means, bring your designs to the games. Uh, your, your, you know, your character likes to write poetry? Go for it. Investing in your character is never a bad thing, and the GM can also support players by giving them optional homework. Uh, sometimes all it takes is a, wouldn't it be cool if you... You know, in one campaign I prepared, I handed out a weekly newspaper full of background info, rumors, and plot hooks. Some of it pays off, some of it didn't. Sometimes that was based on players' interests more than mine. The player who pays attention to it will be rewarded, is what I'm saying. But the one that doesn't, he won't really suffer. Sometimes it's all about keeping campaigns alive. And making players invested in their characters is the best way to do it. And if there is no downtime to exploit, you can instead focus on a flashback, something that happened in their past, and still play that out 
uh, one-on-one online or before the game or whatever. So it doesn't interrupt the flow of play and yet creates an extra scene. So I was sitting at improv auditions once thinking about, uh, you know, gaming. (laughs) And this crazy idea popped into my head. What if your character had to audition for a spot in the team? The premise for this is that players bring characters to the table. And through some means, only some will get into your the superhero team in this case. I'm not advocating auditioning players, you understand? Though a role-playing club might very well do this to, to form different gaming groups. And it won't work for every story, but there are several setups that might allow players to bring in, I don't know, three characters they generated to the table and try them out. For example, uh, you know, you could do like an academy, like a, let's say a Starfleet Academy or something. Uh, Legion style tryouts are obviously what I was thinking of here. Uh, contest of champions who represents whatever country, whatever realm, uh, shared calamity, you know, all strangers get involved and by the end a few have survived or found kinship or this is often called a funnel where you just send characters through a gauntlet and um, some of them don't make it and the ones that are stronger mechanically, I guess, are the ones that make it. Uh, quite obviously, some of these setups are for games where the characters are relative rookies and or have a shared origin, at least as far as their meeting goes. It's the boy band created by a record company, you know, not a garage band that made it big. But is it any worse than the random meeting at the at the inn or just saying, oh, they were a team all along and we never know that origin, which so often happens. So how do these auditions go? Uh, it should be far more than the player presenting his or her character sheet to the group. It should definitely be role-played. A final exam, tests and challenges. And these should include social interaction with whoever is testing. Are the characters going head-to-head or teaming up against a bigger threat? And in the end, who or what decides who gets in? There are three major possibilities in my mind. First, the player decides. After playing his various characters through challenges, the player chooses which he'd really rather play. Having experienced the game mechanics firsthand and realizing where he perhaps went wrong in the charging process, or discovering which character his voice is best for. Second, the players and the GM together decide. A discussion and possibly even a vote create a creates a you know consensus about which characters are best for the super team. This would allow for the chemistry built between characters, which could bounce off one another and to make the, the characters complementary. And third, the scenario decides. It's Hunger Games. Uh, characters who do not succeed at the tasks are eliminated, and whatever you've left, one per player. That's your team. Depending on the scenario, elimination could be lethal, or dropped characters might come back later as replacements. And the audition doesn't have to be your starter. When you need a new character to join your party's ranks, it could be a one-off idea for one character's introduction. Again, a formal or incidental tryout makes for a better story than a stranger coming up to your guys and just joining up because their players know his player, you know. Maybe you've already done this. In many games, charging is too much of an investment for you, and... It's not worth making all these characters that you're going to waste. But in superhero gaming, 90% of the fun is making characters. And people will just make characters, make characters, make characters. Just like when you were reading comics and were you know, so excited about it and drawing your own heroes and making up your own stories. That's where the gaming comes from. So I don't think it's too much to ask for players to actually get in there and make several characters, all sorts of heroes, and then pick you know, the best ones are the most relevant ones. And keep the other ones as guest stars. You never know when you might need that other character. 
Now, in one of my superhero RPG series, uh, I started using a couple of funky rewards for players who'd put in a lot of time by using the old comic book convention of giving heroes hype-happy descriptors. The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, or shock and awe nicknames, you know, the world's greatest detective. I fell into the habit of giving special rewards because... I use a sort of roll call to deal with having more players than can fit around a table. Not every superhero created for the game gets to play each week or is available to. So some players are more assiduous than others. In my DC Heroes campaign, players who showed up more frequently, of course, had a better chance at advancement. But since rewards were in hero points, and hero points can be spent during a session, you could very well have a hero who stalled at the same relative level forever, despite playing more games than the next guy. So I instituted a program where the number of games actually counted for something and gave the players rewards at certain intervals. For me, it was every 25 sessions, which made sense at the time, but that could easily be reduced to 15 or less according to how long your series or campaigns tend to last. If you're playing something like Mutants and Masterminds or DC Adventures, then you might instead relate it to the power level, since people do level up. So if my players start at power level 10 and gain one reward every time they go up a level, which shouldn't be that often, it makes for a nice graduation bonus. So how would this house rule work? Well, whether given any X number of sessions or when they graduate to another level, I like to alternate between the two following rewards. Descriptors and nicknames. So, descriptors. The invincible Iron Man. The incredible Hulk. The mighty Thor. Marvel heroes tend to have awesome adjectives in front of their names. If they've earned them, of course. When your hero reaches the required mark, choose an adjective for him or her. From then on, once per session, when that character does something worthy of the adjective, he or she gets a bonus. Getting to do it for free without resorting to playing hero points or a straight up plus so much modifier. Is the Hulk doing something incredible, like ripping the Golden Gate Bridge in, from its moorings? Is Iron Man dealing with incredible damage to his systems, in which case he, he shows he's invincible? That's when you give them the bonus, so it all depends. Team descriptors are also possible. The uncanny X-Men, the mighty Avengers. So allow this one, the group has reached a certain number of games as a whole, even if its members have not. The bonus would only take effect on actions where the team collaborates but work the same way. Now for nicknames, you've got the fastest man alive, the Dark Knight detective, the boy wonder. DC likes its nicknames, but Marvel has them too. You know, the Green Goliath, the Armored Avenger, the man without fear. When your hero reaches the next required mark, he or she chooses a nickname. Though descriptors are often chosen because they sound good next to the hero's name, nicknames should reflect the character's strengths and reputation, of course. Nicknames don't take effect once per game. They're a flat plus one bonus to one power or skill or trait relevant to that nickname. For example, the Flash might have a plus one to super speed feats, Batman to investigation, and the Aquaman, the king of the seven seas, to leadership interactions. And if you look at mutants and masterminds, uh, power level 12 characters are described as having such reputations. So that's perfect. Can you double up? Sure, there's no real limit to how many descriptors and nicknames a character can rack up. Characters with multiple titles and who thus have played a lot of sessions tend to have many. Spider-Man is at once amazing, spectacular, sensational, and friendly neighborhood. Superman is the Man of Steel, plus one to resist damage. The Last Son of Krypton, plus one to Kryptonian knowledge. And the Man of Tomorrow, plus one versus scientific threats. No problem. What if no descriptors sound right? 
Try catchphrases. Yeah, sometimes you can't get a good alliteration going. DC Heroes seems particularly resistant to such things. Your hero could instead take a catchphrase. He could say these himself. It's clobbering time. Or trigger them in bystanders. It's a bird. It's a plane. Either way, these work just like descriptors, giving a once-per-session bonus to the character. In the examples given, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. So he's got a descriptor. Uh, he's got plenty of descriptors already. You could get a bonus to that attack, that one attack. While Superman might boost his charisma, ah, like intimidation, uh, popularity, or to his bird-like, plane-like flight. I find these are great for adding color and they don't result in overwhelming game-breaking bonuses. Descriptors have a limited strength and nicknames are well-known by villains who can be justified in planning for them. So from now on, you can call me the stupendous ciscoid, the Geek King. Oh, well, yeah, it's not great. But be that as it may, choose your descriptors, choose your nicknames, make them part of the game, and give the players bonuses for them to make them true, to make them more than just words, but to make them the actual reflection of that character's reputation. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, let's get into campaigns. What kind of campaigns can we build off of superhero games? Greetings, listeners. I am Dr. G, the man of nerdology. I host the Pulp to Pixel podcasts. I and my rogues gallery of co-hosts explore the media multiverse of geek culture with such shows as Welcome to Astro City and Secret Sagas of the Multiverse. Now I am proud to announce the newest addition to the Pulp to Pixel podcasts, Dial G for Gamer, a superhero gaming podcast. Dial G for Gamer will be a semi-monthly show where I and my co-hosts play and review games with a superhero theme. From tabletop games to video games, we will take on the genre one superhero game at a time. So if you love superheroes and gaming as much as we do, then tune in to Dial G for Gamer. You can find episodes of Dial G for Gamer with the other Pulp to Pixel podcasts through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, you can follow us on Facebook at The Pulp to Pixel Podcasts, and you can find episodes directly at our blog, pulptopixel.blogspot.com. Man, you come right out of a comic book. We're back. We're just talking about game mastering and building games with superhero RPGs, uh, DC Heroes in particular, but anyone will do. And one of the things I like to do is pick a period from comics. If you're going to be playing characters in an already existing universe, one of my longest running ones took place in DC Comics 80s period, right after Legends. Why the 80s rather than more contemporary shared world of DC? Well, playing around in the past actually opens up a lot of opportunities in the same way that playing a military RPG in World War II does. You know who wins the war, and that isn't considered an impediment to enjoyment, so it would be just a hoot to meet or fight the more notorious historical figures that mark that conflict in that example. Imagine being at Baston. That resonates with players more than a completely unknown fictional battle. Now for comics, the mid-80s saw the birth and proliferation of the crossover event. For good or ill, uh, these are generally memorable and required characters to show up across the entire line, often with 
a pretty slim justification for the series that didn't take place in the contemporary DC setting. Now, you're running a game in a shared comic book universe. DC or Marvel could work equally well, which is the equivalent of a comic book series, right? Your team has its own book, presumably. Now, shouldn't these heroes also heed the call about once a year or a dozen sessions? So that game I played lasted long enough for us to take part in two crossovers and almost a third. Here's how we did it. In Millennium, so it's after Legends, so it's got to be Millennium. In Millennium, the Manhunter robots got close to someone in every series and tried to either kill them, turn them, or undermine them somehow. Some Manhunters were disguised as supporting characters. Others were brainwashed close confidants like Lana Lang. Since I ran one of the heroes as a base-bound NPC, I had the players interrupt his kidnapping. As a series that took place in 1987, in this case, they just had to have a Manhunter in their midst. But I didn't stop there. They had to show up in the main crossover series. And that's easily done. Flip through the Mother series the Millennium series in this case, and find all the big group shots, okay? This is just your collection. This is from your own collection. So your own heroes should easily replace Infinity Inc. or the Outsiders or some other generic team of the moment. Show your players this group shot and let them interact with the bigger stars there. There's always that big panel filled with inane conversation with heroes who are meeting for the first time or perhaps already have a bond. Let them bug Batman or get a good word from Superman. If the assembled heroes... Then take part in a mission or a battle. Allow your players to join in. In our version of Millennium, the PCs stopped the big bomb at the center of the Earth from blowing up. In the real history, Booster Gold made like he was a Manhunter sympathizer as a ploy to stop their bomb. With our heroes doing this, he never got the chance to shine, and subsequently, he remained a pariah. And so we played around with that. Don't be afraid to let your heroes change history either. That's one of the reasons using old crossovers works well. You already know the outcome and impact or lag thereof, of any given event, so it's easier to let changes be made or know what to keep intact. 20 years on, as it was, I knew Booster didn't need this win to keep going. When we did Invasion, I of course had the players fight Thanagarians or whatnot, but I also allowed them to succumb to the gene bomb if they wanted to change their powers dramatically. The most memorable group shot for them was the big superhero hospital. The game ended before I got to the next one, and it would have been quite an affair. Armageddon 2001. Now this event was basically just Wave Rider flying around and seeing the potential future of every hero or team that had their own series. None of our own heroes were Monarch, obviously, but here I would have asked the players to update their characters 10 years on and build a story around that. It would have been great fun. But imagine those annual events, Elseworlds, Lost Earth, uh, Year One, and the kind of offbeat session you could create using the shared world's own ideas. Yes, you could try to do crossover events in real time. Secret Wars and Rebirth and what, whatever, Countdown, Clock, or whatever it is. I'm not up to date. But when you can't be sure how those stories will end, or what will occur in their wake, you're rolling the dice more than usual. If you don't wait for them to be over, and let's say they don't come out with untold chapters and aftermath miniseries ad infinitum, which is kind of the model now, you might be left waiting a long time. But if your players don't know DC history all that well, and it's really up to you, then you could pick any crossover, any event. It doesn't have to be this big crossover thing, so long as there are a lot of heroes present, and take out the comics, say it's happening now, in whatever order, and use your favorite storylines as well as big crossovers. Do this sparingly, but you know, every 12 sessions, that's a year. And if you're emulating the genre, if this is supposed to be an ongoing series, then every year is just about the time where you're forced to drop what you're doing and go help out the rest. 
As you may know, I have a show on this network that's called FW Team Up. It's all about the great, well, great and crazy team-ups between heroes and properties, right? But what about realizing team-ups in role-playing games? Because you know what a major problem with lots of licensed RPGs are? It's plaid books. We buy a lot of source books full of character stats, but players would rather create their own characters than play with you know, the, the, the prefab ones. The team-up campaign, or, or one-off, it doesn't have to be a campaign, is perfect to maximize your RPG collection. Pretty good for small groups of players. One GM and two players is actually optimal. And while we're talking about, you know, superhero gaming specifically, it's an idea that can, can actually be adapted for other licensed games like Doctor Who and Star Wars, or, or even non-licensed stuff like uh, Dungeons & Dragons, so long as there are, you know, big names that you know out there part of the fiction. Elminster and Drizzt, I don't know. First, let's look at the full-on team-up campaign. Can this be done? In this campaign idea, one player always plays the same character, so Batman, for example, while another plays the guest star of the week. To achieve the true madness of the team-up comic, the guest should be almost picked at random, either from a table or out of a stack of character sheets. Uh, you know, flip your who's who and put your finger down. Rolling on a table could help successive games achieve a certain balance, as perhaps a first roll could have a slim chance of sending you to the villain's table for a kind of strange bedfellows team-up. Or limit the number of times Batman has to team up with one of DC's cowboy stars. Present-day characters have a higher percentage on the table, for example. That's a lot of work. Alternately, there is no recurring star, and all players choose new heroes each session. Or you could play them in a chain. One stays, the other changes, like the third Brave and the Bold series uh, that Mark Wade started. So one stays, the other changes, alternating like that each session and allowing a player two sessions per hero. The GM could allow his players more than one roll or pick and the opportunity to choose the favorite of three characters and could roll on a villain's table as well for extra randomness. Anyway, obviously these picks should be done well before the session say at the end of the previous game, to give the GM the chance to meet the challenge of crafting a scenario that could realistically involve these varied characters, and the players a shot at researching their choice on Wikipedia or in the original source material. Can't expect everyone to be immediately conversant with Commandi or Cinnamon or the Golden Gladiator, you know. But of course you can also do the team-up one-off. You know, if that sounds too extreme, you don't need to go that far. The self-contained team-up may be a perfect distraction in between larger arcs or when only a couple of players can actually make it to the game. Maybe the team-up is one of the original player characters, and maybe it's just a way to deepen the game setting by playing what would normally be NPCs. Now, obviously, the DC, Marvel, or even Doctor Who, Star Trek, Star Wars universes are big enough to provide an almost limitless number of permutations. But that never stopped Batman from crossing over with Daredevil or Predator or Judge Dredd. So for extra fun, allow for these to happen on occasion. One trope you should respect when doing so is to include a threat from both properties. For example, when Doctor Who and Star Trek crossed over, it was the combined menace of the Borg and the Cybermen. And then you can bust out of canon. The ultimate cross-company crossover is when you throw everything in the same genre into the same universe, regardless of whether or not they could normally meet on the screen or page. So if you're playing a spy game like Top Secret, for example, your game could team up James Bond and Cinnamon Carter from Mission Impossible, or uh, Chuck, you know, Warehouse 13, or Jason Bourne and The Prisoner. Doctor Who is also a great vehicle for such things, since a TARDIS or other temporal means of travel can have a character meet any TV or movie character from across time and space. But superhero comics and narratives are very capable of doing the same thing because in a superhero universe, you've got time travel, you've got magic, you've got alternate dimensions, you've got, you know, the land of fiction entire can be used 
either as parody, tribute, actually exists, crossover stuff. Go crazy. It's what the team-up experience is really about. Now, if you're a fan of the network, you know that I poke a lot of fun at Outsiders. No matter how lame that team has always pretty much been, uh, we have to acknowledge its real appeal to tabletop role players. Because the truth is, the Outsiders are a lot like your own heroes, trademark. Some players took some real DC heroes out of mothballs, Black Lightning and Metamorpho, but most made their own. Vague concepts, you know, Katana and Geoforce, powers that don't really go together, uh, like Geoforce and Halo, uh, terrible costumes like Lookers. Even their names sound like they came from a generic RPG setting. Subsequent iterations of the team didn't actually fare much better. The proof is in the pudding. Mayfair's DC Heroes published a number of adventure scenarios starring teams that could easily be substituted with your own heroes, trademark. Uh, New Team Titans, Infinity Inc., and yes, the Outsiders. So they are so typical super team, you can plug them into anything. But I want to take that idea a step further. If the Outsiders are losers, never quite able to hold their own against C-list villains, as they were portrayed in a couple, the first couple of years of their series, they somehow still take Batman away from his true equals of the Justice League. Losers can make good eventually, whether I believe it happened for the Outsiders or not. Making losers on purpose can be an interesting challenge for a supers RPG that trades on epic victories, but it can lead to an interesting experience. It could be played for comedy, but that's not really what I'm talking about here. Having heroes played straight who hover just above mediocrity has a lot of role-playing potential and built-in angst. The Outsiders format even provides a reason for villains to still be stopped. The Batman. You could theoretically have a GM-run hero who consistently has to bail them out of trouble. Trouble often caused by their own mistakes. Making your own lame hero isn't difficult. In fact, most charging systems or players will produce them a fair amount of the time. Another tactic is to make every player take an established lame hero, heroes who couldn't possibly justify a solo book or can't anymore, and have that hero seek redemption as part of an ill-formed team. The nice thing about such characters is that they're often obscure enough to act as blank slates. I'm thinking of such patchwork super teams as Primal Force, for example, which included Claw the Unknown, Red Tornado, and Jack-O-Lantern, Almost all Global Guardians would make good choices here. And if I look through Green Ronin's DC Adventures, uh, First Heroes and Villains, Volume 1, just, just flip through the pages, you might yield the following team. Agent Liberty, Airwave, Gypsy, the second Kronos, and Aztec. And obviously I could have put actual outsiders on this team. But uh, Mayfair's DC Heroes remains my favorite resource because they had so many source books, full of characters. And just looking through, I might create the following team. Son of Vulcan... Rampage, Simbad, Ultra the Multi-Alien, and Robbie Reed from Dial H for Hero. Well, some, some of these characters are actually pretty cool. They failed to be viable headliners in the past. So, who wants to play Brother Power in my next game? The super genre is generally understood to take place in a contemporary urban setting, much like the majority of superhero comics do. Sometimes you'll get a source book that details World War II or the 30th century, but usually it's the world of today give or take. With licensed comic book universes like DC's and Marvel's, the comics themselves become a sort of source book as well, keeping you up to date on the meta arc and providing adventure ideas aplenty. You just have to make up the stats yourself in that case. With the DC Universe, uh, whether catered to DC Heroes, DC Universe, or the current DC Adventures, the comics can also serve as a collection of campaign settings. 
whether it's the 80s or the 90s or the, the, the aughts, it's a continuity that you can insert your characters into. More than that, if you like a change of pace from the same old four-color campaigns, DC has published a vast number of Elseworld stories, taking familiar superhero concepts and putting them through the filter of a genre, era, or some other conceit. These make for nice self-contained source books for offbeat campaigns. So I thought I'd give you 10 strong choices for your askew DCU campaign. Batman Holy Terror. It was the first book labeled as an Elseworld, though technically not the first in spirit. We'll start there. One of the difficulties in coming up with the list is that a lot of Elseworlds are character-centric. Though they make a nice spin on Batman or Superman, they don't really open a universe up to other characters. Holy Terror is an early attempt at including the entire DCU, so I find it worthy. It's really an alternate history riff a world where Oliver Cromwell lived 10 years longer than he did in our world, and America is a commonwealth nation run by a corrupt theocratic government. Hmm. Uh, this puts your characters, based on DC faves or your original creations, in a position to act as rebels against the state. It's a state always after superhuman abominations to dissect and purge of sin. The stakes are high, the enemy is bigger than life, and the themes possibly more adult than the standard four-color fare. Or how about Justice Riders? Another easy way to create the Elseworlds feel is to take the heroic age to another place and time. Historical role-playing being what it is, a smaller niche than even supers, it may be better to concentrate on genre more than era. So Justice Riders is one of my favorite Elseworlds because it deftly transposes the JLA into the wild, wild west using a combination of superhero and western tropes. Indian magic, steam tech, and the unabashed use of alien visitors pushes the archetypal heroism of marshals, gamblers, and gunslingers up a notch. Players can take on the roles of their own extreme Western types, Westernized versions of their favorite DC characters, or even their favorite DC Western stars straight up. Then there's JLA Riddle of the Beast. Fantasy, by which I mean sword and sorcery, remains the most popular role-playing genre, so why not tap into that? DC's Elseworlds offers a number of possibilities. You've got League of Justice, The Wild, etc., but my favorite is Riddle of the Beast. There's so much of it to explore, and there's a map. There's an actual map. The book itself offers a tour of this Tolkien-esque universe, but leaves a lot of background detail left to explore. Fight Starro's outlaws in the city of the center with your winged Hawkman, or explore the dreaded dark side marshes with your Kryptonian archer. Traverse the waters in the company of Aquan, score a moniker like the Fast Man, Wee Man, or Green Man, or brave the haunted Gotham crags. The entire DCU is there on a single flat map, easy to delve into. Might I recommend Conjurers? It's another way to do fantasy is to simply introduce magic in the recognizable world of today, which is what this miniseries did, putting DC's usually marginal magic-based characters center stage. Will you play one of DC's mystical heroes, tapping into everyday magic in an unusually powerful way, or will you rather go against the grain and play an inventor like Ted Kord, one of the sole masters of this misunderstood thing we call science? The DCU is very much a science hero's realm, but what if Felix Faust worked for the president, and the top heroes were Zatanna, Deadman, Brother Power, and Stanley and his monster? The challenge might be reimagining some of those more obscure characters into top-tier operatives. Superman Distant Fires. Post-apocalyptic gamers might have fun with a destroyed DCU where practically the only survivors are superhumans. In addition to the usual scenarios concerned with survival, fighting mutated animals and people, there's also a political element uh, as you take part in building a new society. In the book, superhumans split off into Superman's camp, dedicated to finding a peaceful solution to the growing mutant problem, and Captain Marvel's, 
willing to kill to put a stop to mutant raids. With whom does your hero side? Will you introduce your own hero or play an established DC character, even a former villain, since we're all in this together? Titans Scissors Paper Stone, an Elseworlds special uh, that presents a far future. In fact, I think it was going to be a Legend of the Dead Earth uh, before it became what it was. It's a great template for anime-style supers role-playing. Giant mutated monsters? Check. Spaceships? Check. Nanotech uh, cyberpunk? Check. Sure, why not? And pretty much any crazy science explanation can be used to create your character's powers. The book only features a few titans, but should provide enough of a world and aesthetic to allow players to create their own manga techno-future versions of DC characters and concepts. Imagine uh, the Blue Beetle as a giant mech warrior, or telepathic John Jones as a sentient computer program patched into the collective internet consciousness, trademark. Sky's the limit. Try this trio. Superman's Metropolis, Batman Nosferatu, Wonder Woman Blue Amazon. Another way Elseworlds are commonly built is by amalgamating the DCU and some other work of fiction. A Batman and the Phantom of the Opera, or Superman and the War of the Worlds, for example, or... Or either with Frankenstein. Lafissier and McKeever provide an interesting take on this method in Superman's Metropolis, where they redid Superman's story in Fritz Lang's Metropolis, and then went to add to that universe with a Batman story based on uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Nosferatu, and then a Wonder Woman's tale based on the Blue Angel. Each story took place in the vast, futurist city of Metropolis using the same continuity. The conceit, of course, is that each character was reimagined through the lens of a different German expressionist film, and silent cinema buffs could surely add to it. Or you could use the project as a template for your own Elseworlds, perhaps based on another film era or literary movement. The DCU seen through the eyes of Kung Fu Cinema, or Borges's short stories, or 80s SF fantasy movies like Mannequin Ghost, Weird Science, and The Last Starfighter. These could all yield results. Here's a change of pace you could even introduce in a continuing campaign. JLA Act of God. In this thing, a strange event suddenly robs all superhumans of their abilities forever. Technology still works, guys like Metallo or Cyborg are unaffected, though more exotic weapons like the Green Lantern Rings are rendered inert. What does your character do? Retire or continue to fight the good fight by whatever means necessary? In the book, a number of heroes did just that, turning to gear and their martial abilities. And how do even veteran, non-powered heroes suddenly deal with the overflow of villains that used to be handled by Superman-class heroes? You might even start a campaign in this world, carefully creating formerly powered heroes and how they adapted their unique skill sets, or bounce back from losing powers they've had all their lives, to continue the war on crime. Now you're just waiting for me to mention Kingdom Come, right? So open up Kingdom Come and you'll find a huge variety of cool designs by Alex Ross, many of which are just begging for a story of their own. The Kingdom Come campaign comes with a classic superhero versus anti-hero premise, but the fun will be taking or being inspired by a character from the book and making it one's own. You can play aging heroes, their children legacy, or a badass 90s hero who don't care none. Obviously, you want to play it before Captain Marvel blows the whole thing to, well, Kingdom Come. Or maybe you want to use it, run past it, and participate in the largely untold reconstruction phase of the story. Speaking of generations, Superman and Batman Generations by John Byrne. The three volumes of this series, but the first two especially, serve as a nice source book for describing the feel of each era of DC Comics, illustrating effectively the flavor of each decade, from the 40s on up. Obviously, you can use it just for that, but go further and use it as a template for creating your own legacy heroes. Just imagine your favorite DC character actually started operating the year he or she was first introduced. How long has it been, and how old would that character be now? If that character is long-lived enough, Create a son, daughter, descendant, or pupil. Or perhaps even a now adult sidekick. 
you'll follow in your favorite character's tradition without having to advance the calendar the extra 20 years into flying car territory, like Batman Beyond did. Generations gives you enough of a backbone for that world to make sense without using too many characters you'd like to claim as yours. Now obviously starting an offbeat campaign is a major investment, but you could also use these Elseworlds as cross-dimensional destinations for your contemporary heroes, and if you don't use any of these ideas, it's okay too, there's a version of you somewhere who will. So here's hoping you've been inspired to start a game, to change up your game, to put a house rule on your game, to uh, to use any of this advice for uh, your own purposes. And if this kind of material interests you, let us know at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Fire and Water Facebook site or even on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcasts. Tell us if you want more campaign ideas, more more GM or player talk. Even if it goes outside the bounds of strict superhero gaming, we may be interested in exploring those ideas further. So until the next time we get an extra Tuesday in a month, let's roll. Let's roll.